Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hello, Merry Christmas. I hope you're enjoying today, sleeping in, having a beautiful morning with your family, connecting with loved ones, whether it's in person or virtually or over the phone. Yeah, wow, Christmas is here and it's Christmas Day and we have a present for you. Let me tell you, we have as our guest today someone who really needs no introduction. She is probably the most famous Ashtanga Yoga practitioner and teacher, the youngest certified female and the most advanced practitioner in our lineage next to Sharat Joyce. So... Who is it? Do you know? Can you guess? We have the effervescent Kino McGregor here with you. Kino is an old, old friend of both Russell's and mine. Kino and I first met in 2004 in Mysore, India. Um, she is the creator of Om Stars. That was a dream that she brought to life, which is basically a yoga TV network um, that connects uh, students to traditional yogic practices, making yoga accessible to people all over the world, and that helps keep you inspired in your practice and in your life. She also founded the Miami Life Center with her husband, Tim Feldman, who was a guest on our podcast a couple years ago, and the Miami Life Center has now evolved into the Miami Yoga Garage. Kino is also the author of six books, count them, six. The most recent is called Act of Love, Radically Reprogram Your Mind. This is a guide to help you attain spiritual growth, love, and true happiness in your life. And it's teaching students how to act from a place of love, helping to reprogram those negative habits, uh, how to choose a different outlook, and how to follow this simple roadmap to attain true love and true happiness in life. And in a way, that's the gift of yoga. And we're here to talk to Kino about all of the gifts that she's received from her own personal practice. It's pretty amazing, you know, Kino um, is totally devoted to living a life of yoga, upholding the precepts of truth and nonviolence and love. She really believes that yoga is more, that more than just a workout, that it is a way of life. And she really does live this way of life. You know, Kino's taught me many things, including how to put up personal boundaries, how to not care so much what other people think, but to live authentically and be true to yourself. And that is one thing that this woman is. She is a powerhouse traveling the world, creating DVDs, writing books, writing a regular blog, founding yoga studios, founding yoga um, channels that are hosting many, many teachers. I have also um, been a teacher. I am a teacher on Ohm Stars and have taught workshops for Ohm Stars that you can find on her yoga network. And so, yeah, let's just 
figure out. Let's talk to her about how she does all this stuff, how she stays inspired and committed to her practice and how she finds time to do all these things. Um, regularly showing up on social media and just showing up in all the ways that she does. It's a really incredible feat, actually. And I'm excited to offer you this opportunity to manifest your own vision and your own goals to create clarity and to kick those negative habits holding you back that might be getting in your way and make 2023 the best year ever. So if you want to really create a vision for yourself uh, with focus, with clarity, with motivation so that you can finally feel at peace and inspired and able to move forward confidently in your life, then please sign up and join me for my New Year's yoga workshop. You can find the link in the show notes. We will be practicing primary series, the beginning of intermediate series, as well as some pranayama, some meditation, and then we're going to pull out our journals and really set the foundation for an incredible year ahead. Just letting go of everything that came with 2022 and stepping into a clear future, a confident space and setting those great intentions for the new year. It's all happening on January 7th, which is a Saturday morning in North America. It will be Saturday afternoon in Europe and the UK. And I would just love to have you join me for this workshop. So without waiting any further, let's see what keeps Kino going, keeps her energized and how she does it all. Hi, welcome to the Fighting Harmony podcast. I'm here with Russell and someone who needs no introduction. I guess we have like a Miami native yeah. on the show. This is maybe our third Miami native. I'm so excited. Nice. Hi, well, Kino. How are you? Hey, Harmony. Hey, Russell. I'm good. I'm just uh, awake from my after practice nap and uh, mm-hmm. feeling feeling pretty good that I made it through practice today. <laughs> yeah, much needed, it sounds like. You're all, all the way over there in India right now. First trip here since before the pandemic. Wow. And seriously, you're waking up at like one o'clock, two o'clock? So my alarm is set for 1.30 in the morning, and that gives me half an hour to brush my teeth, take a shower, make tea, which I never managed to finish because the time is too short. And then yeah. I do my, my sitting practice. So I sit from, from 2 to like 3.05 or 3.10. Yeah. And then I have another 10 minutes before our car comes to collect my stuff and <laughs> put it in the bag and uh Get on over to practice. But what about wow. like a warm up? Like you got to be able to like like move all your limbs around. Do a little pigeon. <laughs> a little pigeon. Do all your emails. She doesn't and pigeon. need a warm up. You don't do all the <laughs> little things. I I had to do hours of that stuff. <laughs> to be honest with you, at that I I have, I, I feel I've reduced um, everything to um, during when I do the meta practice. I yeah. line back with my legs up like Vibrita Karani yeah. and then I do meta practice lying down because I'm really tired yeah. and you know the whole instruction with meta bhavana is like you should relax your body and be comfortable mm-hmm. so I do like Vibrita Karani uh, nice. for meta 
for yeah. like five to ten minutes after the one hour sit and then I do a forward bend because I've been sitting for an hour yeah. and then I usually do one handstand against the wall um, to keep the vertical axis because that like vertical axis training is super important so like my mm-hmm. all the handstand training I've done with the few handstand trainers that I've worked with the thing to keep the vertical line really consistent is to do you know the the go as close to the wall as you can and basically like fingertips against the wall and then you just move then I so I just go up for 10 breaths mm-hmm. of protraction and retraction of the shoulders and then I come down and I'm ready to go and it just huh. takes like 30 seconds and then I'm like get me out and honestly I do that here because there's so much emphasis on like flexibility 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 mm-hmm. and especially with the deep back bends that we end up doing here that, uh, that I feel like I lose the strength really, yeah. like really, really quickly. So I just mm-hmm. do like one handstand against the wall to like keep the strength and then I go and practice. <laughs> but I don't do really too much because there's not enough time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, well, that, well there's, I, that would, I would find that really <laughs> frustrating. I. you'd be like 11 p.m just to like warm up for your practice the the moment that i woke up i was i was over always and always have been overwhelmed with a feeling of of anxiety about practicing and so i found myself i mean really like two and a half hours of of prep whether it was you know um uh anything you could imagine i mean like third series postures anything that i could open up my psoas open up my shoulders open up my hips open up my everything and then i always felt like right around hour two the anxiety was just beginning to fade because <laughs> you're exhausted <laughs> and i was exhausted and then i felt like okay i can go into practice and i'm not going to hurt myself and i'm and i'm going to be okay and i and i felt like that there's nothing I could do about that. It was just my personality was in my own way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, does that jive at all with your experience of practice? Like, do, do you feel like yeah. you, just, you, could, you wake up and you can, it's going to be okay? I mean, I think that my sitting practice is really the benchmark of my sanity. So mm-hmm. for me, I know that if I don't sit, I don't want to engage with the public of any type, even my, and any other human being. Mm-hmm. probably any other even being like even an animal yeah. being I feel like I just want to I want to not talk to anyone and get on and do my meditation now for my meditation I feel like I feel like whatever happens I'll be okay and mm-hmm. and so for me my sitting practice is really the key and so that's why I'm getting up early because I know that I want to sit before I practice and I want to sit before I interact with other people mm-hmm. and there's a lot of interaction at the shala um, even mm-hmm. at that really early hour and when you're finished with practice and there's a lot of kind of you know just negotiating people's space and sharing space and in the changing rooms and the closing area and in and out and you know um, so so I feel like I for me it's my sitting practice um, you know there's a lot, I and then and then the second thing is uh, the earlier start time. So if I had another 30, 45 minutes, I'd probably find something to do. You know, I'd probably, <laughs> I'd probably like do a little pigeon and lie there and like relax mm-hmm. a little bit. Like I, 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 I do my practice at home. I, I sit and then I do 15, 20 minutes of yin as kind of like a transition 
in between the world of meditation and the sort of dynamic world of Ashtanga. But yeah, I don't have the time. So I'm like, all right, feet for your karate, handstand against the walls, get out of here, because that's all the time I've got. And I feel like if I were to cut my meditation and do more stretches, then that wouldn't be good for my mental health. And Mm -hmm. for me, I always prioritize my mental health over, um, you know, what I can or can't do physically. And I just feel like it'll be okay, Um, you know. Uh, And this is something that I think is uh, kind of problematic about the way people approach the practice here is that they think that it that they have to perform at 100 percent capacity every single day. And they think it's not going to be okay if they need to adapt a posture, modify a posture or skip a posture one day. And there's like this kind of push to be your best and be at this achievement. But the reality of it is that 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 that's something that many people we bring and if we can have the courage to go and you know talk to the assistants talk to Sharad and figure out like well hey today I'm not feeling great or or to share that and think okay well what's going on and actually like open up a line of communication that that's possible and and then and then also just to decide look I don't want to do like maybe I'm just going to do primary today or Maybe I'm going to just do everything really lightly today and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and so I feel like if people can give themselves that permission, um, then I think it, it, it can kind of lessen the anxiety a little bit. Now at the Shala, I was really surprised to see that there are laminated cards on the stage at the front mm-hmm. um, and they say, I don't need help today. That says, <gasps> that's one of the cards. Really? The second, yeah, and then the second card says, I have an injury. Mm. And then the and then the next card says I'm pregnant. So and I've seen people take the pregnancy. Oh, I grabbed that one. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. I told him I think you should go grab the pregnancy one. <laughs> Just see what <laughs> happens. Yeah, <laughs> that explains a lot. <laughs> mm, it certainly does. <laughs> but I've seen I've seen people like there's a girl who has some like wrap around her ankle. She's obviously sprained her ankle somehow. And so she just gets that every day. She walks over and grabs the I have an injury. There's someone that hurt their knee doing a pose. Um, and so then they then now they're grabbing this I have an injury thing mm-hmm. and putting it in front of their mat in the lead classes and the Mysore classes. And so people are aware of it. And I think that there I think that's nice that there's space for that now. Yeah. And I hope that that creates a, a sort of more kind of relaxed atmosphere about what we can allow ourselves not to do, you know? Mm -hmm. I remember one time um, in Gokulam, you came out of the shala and you told me, you told me something had happened. It was, it was, it's a really good story. I don't know if you remember it, but you had said to me, this is one of those days where all I wanted to do was do, you know, maybe three sun salutations, Padmasana and go back to bed. And I was felt that way walking into the shala, you told me. And what ended up happening was Guruji just randomly started teaching you a fifth series posture in the middle of third series. Because he thought it'd be really funny to show you. And it's like, you do the splits and then oh, I think yeah. you have to reach back for your foot. I remember and then, that. And it was yeah. like, this is bananas. Do you, I mean, I just, what I liked about the story is how honest you were or just forthright you were about like there's there are days where we don't need to do everything. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting. I, I felt like that this morning, to be honest with you. I felt like, oh, this is miserable. You know, I just I, I told Tim on the way over. 
We're, well, actually, we didn't say anything on the way over. We're like, so we, we sh- we're sharing a car with um, Anna from San Antonio, uh, mm-hmm. who's hosted us a bunch of times over there and has been coming here for like 10 years or so. And uh, sometimes we chat in the morning and all three of us were just silent in the car over there. <laughs> we're just like staring out the window. And, like, oh. and then I thought, I really thought like, how am I going to do this? I had this feeling today also, like mm-hmm. I just want to do... I don't even want to do the sun salutations. I was like, I just want to bolster and like yeah. a long hold and suta butter konasana and a bath. Yeah. That's what I want and today. A bath. Really nice. <laughs> I've been and taking a, a lot massage. of those. I want a honestly. bath. And then I want to yeah. go back to bed. Yeah. <laughs> and then I started, you know, it was so cold this morning and I started, I'm like, okay, actually my body's warming up. And I'm like, okay, I, I, the, the muscles are warming up. And then, you know, Jadaji walks into the room and I'm like, all right. And he's literally stood in front of my mat for like <laughs> 20 minutes. And I was like, okay, you're giving me energy. I'm going to ride yeah. that energy. And I was yeah. like, wow, this is really helpful that you're standing there. And I was thinking that. And I was just like, okay, this is good. Like stand there mm-hmm. because I'm trying because he's standing there. And I could do so much more than I thought. And I felt, I was actually thinking, how grateful I feel to have a teacher, to be in a space where I want to come. And I'm like, I'm not pushing myself beyond limits, but I'm like, oh, my body warmed up and I could do so much more than I thought. But if I was at home, I totally wouldn't have done it. And so I was really grateful in that moment. And something like that day that you're, that you're talking about in that story, was like the same thing. I'm there. And then, you know, here, then like suddenly that day, you know, Tommy Joyce is going to come over and start like, talking to me and doing all kinds of weird things with me and today I also had this feeling like please I really don't need any help with any asanas today I would like to just be in my own circle of misery if that's okay I would like to exist with what I can do and let that be enough and I and I thought that that was going to happen I was even like please let one of the assistants come over because you know the assistants come over then I can like I mean, like, you know, it's like when I have our, t- when, when I'm in Mysore class at home with our teachers in Miami, I, I'm kind of like, I'm the one that's still in control, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. little, especially if they're my students, then I'm like teaching them. I'm like, all right, so today we're going to hold here. So I've decided, yeah. and then I'm like training them. So I'm never fully surrendered. I'm like, oh, actually, you know, you didn't follow the arc of the shoulder. Let's try to do that again. You know, like so it's right. from the teaching mm-hmm. moment. And then with the assistants here, I'm like, this is the holiday. So we're just going to do what I can do by myself. Uh, yeah. while they're standing there and that's going to be nice and it's going to be a holiday and so I was like please let me have holiday today <laughs> and um, absolutely not this was not happening and then you know uh, I have a posture that's at the end it's also in fifth series that I, I just can't like I can't do it um, without help and I um, I just felt like okay I'm not like I don't want help in this today I just want to do my miserable version of it and move on with my life and then, you know, like Shadaji walks over immediately and is like, let's do it now. And I was like, holy crap. Okay, let's do it now. What does it and it's look horrible. like? It's, um, it's uh, I think it's called um, uh, Padma Dandasana. Um, and so it's the, it's the Chaturanga Dandasana with the lotus. So like, oh, the yeah, you down thing. and float yeah. into that. Yeah, the yeah. down is actually the, is not so bad. It's the getting up to go down. That's actually really bad. Right. And you do you know. start in Lotus to go up or do you go into Lotus? Do you start, you jump through, take Utlutahi, and then you're supposed to lift up into handstand and then yeah. lower down. I've never been able to figure out that lift up from Utlutahi. So I'm just yeah. like, 
So the poor and, man has to come over and lift me up and take me down. So I'm like, I was like, I don't need you to break your back. You're like, let's just skip this today. It'll be fine. I have some miserable version I can do on my own that like kind of touches the bookends of the pose. And I was like, mm-hmm. right. And I was, I did that and lied down. I was like, this is fine. And, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I was like, I don't really need help with back friends today. Oh, you're going to stand there while I do the whole thing. Okay. All right. I guess the, mm. the systems are not coming. And then it was fine. I was, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's interesting that on one of these days where you really feel like I just want to do Surya Namaskar and standing, particularly what I found is here in Mysore on those days, if you come, that's the day that they're going to be there for you. You know, mm. that's the day that they're going to come and stand around your mat and they'll just like be there. And the day that you feel like, wow, I'm kind of hot shit today. Like, look, I feel really <laughs> good. Like, wow. Like they don't see you. You don't exist no. to them. Today, you know? It's and so, so I feel weird, like, right? Yeah. And I that way? That. Yeah. Yeah. No, you feel, oh, I did everything today. And then, they, and then that's the day that like, they'll come back and be like, oh, I didn't see you do again. And you can't do it again. You yeah. know? <laughs> like, that was it. It was a once in a lifetime experience, like a comet and it's over. <laughs> I feel like one of the, the through lines that's yeah. coming through our conversation is this kind of motif of transformation. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of, of when I first met you, like I first actually started meeting, like talking to you in, in India, but when I first, you know, met you or saw you i was i think at guy's place in new york mm-hmm. and you had a you had a shaved head and you had this you know astounding practice and i'm like looking over like who the fuck is that and <laughs> and then um i think and i i had heard someone someone mentioned to me in passing that you were getting like a master's degree in civil engineering or something like that in, and interdisciplinary then, studies, but but from NYU, yeah. Okay, but was civil engineering a part of interdisciplinary studies? No, the interdisciplinary studies allows you to take kind of um, an intersectional look at um, different topics by, and it allows you. What was really nice about this degree is it allows you access to all of the graduate degree programs at New York University. So um, you can pick and choose uh, what's relevant to give you a truly holistic view of whatever your course of study is. And so what my degree was in, I I took, um, I did did a combination of an anthropological, political science and and feminist studies uh, view to uh, uh, of the science of agriculture. So, um, and this allowed me to apply kind of um, uh, a deconstructivist lens to the um, kind of epistemological bias that goes into the science of agriculture. And what you'll find in a lot of agricultural writing is a feminization of the of the earth and plants and a masculinization mm-hmm. of the sort of um, the means by which production is achieved. And the language right. begins yeah. to be very, very different depending on which type of agricultural processes are um, being uh, worked in, in different farms. So if it's large scale commercial agriculture versus organic agriculture versus a more kind of um, like what's called biodynamic agriculture, then the whole language that goes into the relationship between um, the, the sort of human activity and the nature activity, it, it radically changes. Wow. That's so fascinating. That's <laughs> yeah. Do you feel and like- I can see why I, I, yeah. I came up with the idea of like city engineering because I was like, what is she doing? It's like, she, yeah, well, I mean, she's creating yeah, I, society. I 
Yeah, I was also working as a journalist and I wrote a few articles about um, kind of, you know, like like New York City. And so I did I did actually work. Uh, I, I wrote an article about garbage in Gotham about and I, I interviewed, you know, like the, the head comptroller of, of Manhattan who was in charge of all the garbage. And so like I was also working as a journalist. So maybe maybe some of the pieces that I wrote came in as well. And yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I thought I was going to have a totally different like life. And then yoga kind of right. came in. That's amazing. And so there was that. There's this piece and this woman that I met or was next to at Guy's place. And then uh, I think maybe two years later, I was standing there talking to Petri. And to my left, I remember seeing Tim. And then I remember seeing a goddess next to Tim. And I'm like, I looked at the goddess and she was like, really like a Athena, like a rippling, muscled, it's like Olymp- Olympian. And I thought, and I like, but a tiny one, but I'm, I'm a visual, I'm a visual learner. Right. So I, I, don't, I don't get things visually. I was studying painting in, in, in New York. When mm. And like, fuck me, that's Kino. That's the Kino lady. That's the Kino right? lady. <laughs> and I went up and I introduced myself afterward. And it was like that, I wanted I wanted to ask you about that transformation, but I feel like there's so many of these these mm. transformations that have happened in your life. I mean, you you wrote a book, Sacred Fire: My Journey into Ashtanga Yoga. And I, maybe that maybe that sets up what what this transformation was like for you. I'm not I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I feel like um, I I never did anything physical before yoga. So I was never a dancer, I was never a gymnast, I was never anything physical. So I feel like when I started the practice, I was kind of like, maybe you'll appreciate from the from the artist perspective, I felt like I was really like a blank canvas. But mm-hmm. rather than a blank canvas being like given to a master, I was like a blank canvas given to someone with absolutely no skills. And I felt like I was blind and deaf and lacked kinesthetic touch. And it was like, okay, here, now start working. It's like and Plato's had... cave. Here we are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I felt like that. I felt like I have no sense of where anything is and no sense of like the whole felt sense of the body was something completely foreign to me. And I don't, oh. I think it took me years to realize that that was really one of the benefits of the, the yoga asana practice is to bring you deeper into contact with that subtlety of the, of, of the felt sense of the body and all the different kind of levels of awareness and uh, th- that can come in when you fully inhabit your physical form. And I think that for a long time, I just didn't know why, but I felt better after doing asana practice. Mm-hmm. And I felt, you know, more peaceful, more whole. And particularly after my first trip to India, I really didn't know more other than I want to get back and continue the practice. I didn't, wow. I didn't think I wanted to be, I definitely didn't think I wanted to be a yoga teacher. I definitely didn't think I wanted to stop my sort of educational path. Uh, and, and, but then I, you know, I came back for six months and then I came back for another six months and then you know very soon it was like well you should teach and then I just felt like I want to keep coming back as much as I can and then you know and then it's the then that path just kind of sort of opened ahead of me and I still think about potentially going back and completing a PhD but my interests have radically changed so you know I've, I've really really thought about that over the last couple of years um, and I still might, you know, life's not over. You still have, you know, yeah. half life yeah. left to go or so. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, but I think that the first thing maybe with saw physically was kind of like the first outlines of uh, a different body on a canvas a because sketch. I had, 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, like muscle development and that kind of thing. I, I had zero um, when I started the practice. I couldn't do, you know, I couldn't do chaturanga to save my life. I fell out of triangle pose, like trikonasana, mm-hmm. my first class that I ever went to. It took me a year to do a headstand. Um, and wow. like, I just had no muscle development at all. So it really was just kind of like blank blob. Um, and it felt like that when I was practicing, I was like, I'm a blob and the blob needs to do something. So let's try. And, uh, over time it was like, Oh, that's the blob is differentiating. Like the blob Mm -hmm. has at least a top and a bottom now. And then slowly there's more information, more awareness, more information, more awareness. And I was never for whatever, when I, and I mean, you might remember from, many years ago, but when I started practice, there was not really a lot of technique and anatomy. There was more like mysticism. And I felt like at some moment, because I felt like my lived experience with the body was just this blob, I felt like I need some anatomical information. So I started to like really um, get some anatomical information, some study anatomy, and I was really familiar with the course of like being a student. So I did a lot of self-study just yeah. in terms of body awareness and figuring out like what, like I, I, I don't, I can't activate my shoulder. So what does that involve? And so like looking up the muscles of the shoulder and figuring out what they do and what are the bones like? And I mean, I regretted that I slept through biology class in high school because I just felt like that seems like it'd be the one thing from high school to be useful. <laughs> yeah. And that's the class I didn't really like. So I just ignored it. You know, I thought this is useless. And then I was like, oh, this is, I gotta, now I gotta figure out where subscapularis is. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what was it then that like brought you into the practice? Was it, was it looking for a physical outlet or was it? Did a friend drag yeah, you in? Yeah, what, what, like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, what was it that attracted you? No, I mean, well, I did my first yoga class when I was 19 and it was in a gym. It was a traditional Hatha yoga class from the Shivananda tradition. So I did some Hatha yoga that was just kind of really spiritual oriented, relaxation based. And so it was like, mm-hmm. you know, um, just re- I really, really respect that lineage. I think it's a really great entry for people who have um, no kind of body awareness and no physical training. I think this traditional Hatha practice is wonderful, especially if people are looking for deep relaxation and, um, and this sort of thing, really, really respect this. Uh, and I, uh, you know, was in a radically different period of my life. So from the time I'm 18 until I start really doing dedicated Ashtanga yoga, I can look back now and I can see that I was in a period of depression, you know, um, and I was in a period where I was searching without having the tools for searching. And that, that, like that led me into, while I'm, while I'm, you know, going into, you know, education, I'm in every spare moment kind of like undergraduate school for me for somehow was very non-challenging. So that allowed me to um, basically excel in the undergraduate degree while at the same time having like a part-time job partying. So I felt like, (laughs) it felt like I was you know, doing what I needed to do. And I graduated with honors. I, and I had, I had, I, I think I had, I did, I was going to double major, but I changed my mind and did three minors instead mm-hmm. um, that allowed me more diversity uh, and to explore different <laughs> things. And so then, the, but then at the same time, I was living this life where it would come like 
Thursday through Sunday, and I would just be completely lost in another world. And it was in that atmosphere that I did my first yoga class. And at some moment, I graduated from my undergrad, my undergraduate degree, and I wanted to take a little bit of time off because I felt really lost. And it was during this period where I was applying to graduate schools, and I said, I want to get more deeply into yoga. And I remember thinking, I, uh, the reason, the actual like the, the impetus, I, I can, I know exactly where it came from because. I um, was standing in an elevator. This is going to sound completely bizarre, but standing in an elevator on Monday morning. Um, I hadn't been to sleep since Friday, um, mm-hmm. Thursday night, actually. Um, <laughs> so then I'm standing in an elevator and there's a guy who came in and I'm like, I, I think I'm like, I'm, I'm 21 and, and um, standing in an elevator. And it's a guy with these like tattoos of kisses all over his neck. Yeah. And this oh, guy nice. looks really gnarly, you know, like yeah. really gnarly. Yeah. And I was a little bit like, I'm going to an after party. I'm like an after after party because yeah. I, I don't I, like I don't have class until Tuesday, so I'm still free. And and I'm standing in the elevator and I'm looking up at this guy and I'm like, is this really like, am I? Is this safe? You know, right. I'm yeah, by myself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know where the party is and I know the people there and I've like gone from one place to another. And um, he looks down at me and he's like, man, I'm so glad the '80s are over. And I was like, the '80s. That was in my childhood. Like, I didn't have any problem with the 80s. Like, I'm thinking, and I immediately have all these images flash through my mind about the 80s. So I see, like, Michael Jackson and Madonna and Van Halen. And I'm like, I don't really have a problem with that. And he's like, man, all those eight balls were just killing me. And I was a little bit like, yeah, oh, yeah. my God. I totally You know, agree. so an eight ball, if anybody's just like cocaine and heroin. Mm. And I was like, okay. And then, and then like, he takes a breath and he's like, yeah, man, this ecstasy is just so much better for the body. And I was like, I need to stop this right now. For the children (laughs) at home, agree with every comment so far. (laughs) Yeah. I just had this image in my mind. I was like, listen, I looked, I was like, okay. I just did. I like nodded him and was like, you need to get out of this party scene. You get your life back together. You are clearly on some path of deep escapism, you are not happy within yourself. This is where you are. And in, in 20 years, you have a choice. You're either going to be the female version of that dude or you're going to be yes. his girlfriend. So, yes. which is worse? Neither. <laughs> you want either of those. You need to just mean it like, get out of this. And I still went to the party. I still had a really good time. Yeah. But I also realized like I, I, there was a hollowness into, mm-hmm. a, you know, trying to find eternal happiness in the perfect house music beat. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, you keep looking and the goalposts just shift, but the misery that's inside, it never leaves you because you'll have a chemically induced kind of period of happiness, but you always come back to yourself. You always come back to the, the down. And so I, I literally said, I need to, I want to find out how to live a more peaceful life. And part of that was, I want to go to take a more serious yoga class. So I walked into an Ashtanga class. I didn't know what it was. And within like, I think I bought my ticket to India six months after my first Ashtanga class. Wow. And I showed up in India like, Eight months into my Ashtanga journey. Were you in and New York in that first class? My first like a... class was in Miami. And then okay. I was moving to New York. My first Mysore class was in New York. Okay, and I okay. think you saw me at Guys when I came back from when I came back from Mysore for the first time. So I already been yeah. to India for two months. I did um, the the one month uh, after 9-11 in the Puck building, you know, right. um, there, which was really emotional and really intense. And I, uh, I actually started coming to guys and maybe you'll think this is quite funny because I was practicing on my own in my East Village apartment in Alphabet City, which 
this was radically different 20 years ago than it is now. Right. Um, yeah, you, know? yeah. you could get, you could still buy eight balls at that point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I was living in a very bizarre building. Like there was like seances <laughs> happening and like, you know, like naked tarot readings. And then I would be like, yo, mm. the girl. And then like people like invited me like, do you want to come and be a part of our naked tarot? I was like, I'm good, but mm. have fun. You know, next time. Yeah, definitely. My options tarot. open now. Yeah, exactly. my schedule open. Absolutely. You know, make it narrow and seances. What, what more could you ask for out of, um, you know, not much apartment mates? You know, your neighbors, mm. right? Yeah. So, so, so I was. But you're only like two or three blocks from Guy's place. If I was practicing by myself, so I felt like I met my teachers. You know, like I have my right. teachers. And I had so much physical like activity to be a student at NYU. Cause you know, like NYU is that East West commute. So I'm living in Alphabet city and I was just like, all right, let's 20 minute walk, walk back and forth. Yeah, like, walk 20 minutes over here and I walk 20 minutes back and I walk over yeah. here. I like went to, I went to Eddie's for like a week and I was like, I'm going to walk a thon. I can't do this. And I don't have money yeah. for cabs. Like there was no, there was no subway transportation. I like walked there. I was like 40 minutes there, 40 minutes back. 20 minutes there, 20 minutes back. And at the end, I was like, I don't have money to feed myself for all of this. Like, I just I can't. I'm going to walk it on. So I'm like, I was like, look, I already have a teacher. I'm good. I, you know, I, I went to Eddie because he was the host at the Puck building. And I felt yeah, like, yeah. that's right. And then I'm like, look, he's not my teacher. Um, Patavi Joyce was my teacher. I felt really connected with, certain, you know, with Shrad even then. And I was like, mm -hmm. they're my teacher. We practice at home. I'm practicing home, practicing home, practicing at home. Then um, one Sunday morning, I got a fierce knock on my door. Boom, boom, boom. I was like, what? Ah, I'm practicing, you know? And like, I opened the door and I got this neighbor who looks super hungover with like, you know, like the mascara, like coming out. She's like, what are you doing in here? And I'm like, I'm doing yoga. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> the I sound I you. upset your uh, neighbors. Yeah. And oh. she's like, I, yeah, she's like, I'm sleeping. I was like, she's like, she said she would hear her chandelier like, boom, boom. But I guess wow. I was jumping, 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 and dumping. And then wow. I was, and she was, and she's like classic New Yorker was like, yoga, yoga is supposed to be relaxing. Like, what is your problem? Why are you jumping? You should be relaxing. Go and relax. And she like walked away. I was like, I'm really sorry. On Sundays, I'll, I'll find someplace else to do my practice. So then that's how I started going to guys. I was like, once a week on Sunday, I will go and practice right. somewhere so that yeah. I don't see that image again. Yeah. <laughs> That's ex and that's exactly what I saw. It was on a Sunday. Yeah, it wasn't every uh -huh. day. Yeah. Right. So yeah, wow. <laughs> because, you know, you get one New Yorker up in your face in the middle of your practice. It's almost like a PTSD moment. You know what totally, I mean? Totally, totally. You're like, like I don't need any more of that. <laughs> she was super hungover. And to be honest with you, it was a really old building. And that chandelier could have fallen off. It could have injured right. someone's, I'm, you know, let it be, let it happen when no one was there. Mm -hmm. yeah wow so that's really the the moment then i mean that's you were on your way to a phd in and really going in a really very deeply academic path and then this is it now this is the you went that direction and an now India, here you are an india on a, detour that's lasted 20 some odd years you're in mysore yeah. on zoom talking to us I and mean, that's that's the result <laughs> yeah. of that choice yeah isn't yeah, I, I, I never, I really never thought that I would be a teacher, to be honest with you. It wasn't really like, uh, you know, like there's so many people now that come to Mysore and they're like, 
they want the authorization as part of their career path or something like that. And, you know, it's like, it's like a different time. There was like, not yeah. like authorization was kind of like something relatively new. And then it was signed up. Kimberly like, came up of, with. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, okay. So it was someone, something happened on the way to certification, you know? Right. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it was kind of like, should you be teaching? Should you not be teaching? Like what, you know, it was like uh, this, just this whole kind of, this different community of people that yeah. were like, okay, we're just here to practice. And I wasn't even sure I wanted to spend the whole hundred dollars on it. I was like, that's yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> so, yeah, is it you. like five thousand dollars now? Do I hear that? I Three thousand. I, I heard have it's no like idea. a lot. I, really of money I don't know. I, I, I could know. ask some people. Some like I, I mentioned before. So, so three of our three of our teachers, or three people from Miami, two of our teachers, and one 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 member of our community all got the authorization this time. I think they were like. You know, now there's like levels, you can get like level one, you can like upgrade to level two. I don't think there's level three. And then, yeah. Did you say level one with upgrades? You yeah, can get upgraded upgrade to, level, to two. level two. Oh, you get up, but not yeah. within, not between no. one and two. There's not like a no. one A, one B. Sometimes I think he does like no. level two up to Dwee Potter. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So then you can yes. complete. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you do that. And actually yeah. on the, on the certification, now I don't know what the certification looks like, but the one that I got. Um, there's a place it's like India is very interesting, right? So then like to get the cert, when I got the certification, there are all these interesting things that they asked me for, like my father's name. Yeah. So actually on the certification, <laughs> it says daughter of John McGregor yeah. because that's my dad's name within India. They can, that's part of the whole, like it actually ties into some kind of really interesting and troubling things about India's past, because this can also like your father's name d determines your caste. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so that, but that's your caste. You, yeah. Yeah, and so this so my dad's name is on my certification, and and there's supposed to be a place where it indicates class level. Right. Um, and Lino Lino Miele from Italy, uh, he was there on the day I got my certification. First thing he did was like, "Let me see," and he's like super Italian. He's like, "I want to see the certification." Mm. And I was like, "Okay." And he's like, "Oh, it looks like mine, uh, except for one thing, uh, you know." And I was like, "Oh," and he's like, "This blank." And so apparently, like apparently like they had written in like the level that he was on and for me they left oh. it blank. Oh, oh. so Lino was done he was cooked and you were yet to be fully baked <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, still you're still going you're still going this is good for you you can this is a good more. for you yeah <laughs> bella bueno mm. yeah wow <laughs> Wow. I feel like another really interesting thing that shifted and we were talking a little bit about this at the beginning um, about how dedicated you are to your meditation practice and how it mm. you know really creates that mental stability. Because I remember when we met for the first time was in 2004 and it was at uh, like Ken, I think, was having some kind of party on his, the roof. Yeah, on his house. Yeah. And he started talking like on his roof and you were just leaving and I had just kind of got there and we'd both been in Srivara Manor for a little bit and yeah. there was like, you know, a lot of drama. The, <laughs> and, the palace. And, uh, and you were like, oh, I can't wait to sleep in. I can't be getting up at 1 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> we had this whole conversation. And then the next time we met, um, I forget, it might have been 2005 or six, but and your personality was like, had kind of totally changed in a way. It was like so much more, mm, I'm going to say peaceful, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, but like 
it was like really apparent, like that your energy had like really shifted. And we were talking again and you were saying, you were telling me about doing the Vipassana retreat, like Mm -hmm. you're after your first one and how it like just changed everything for you. And it really shifted things. Can you tell us a little bit about like what that was like for you, how that, like that path really kind of shifted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How like added to the Ashtanga practice. I feel like without my sitting practice, I don't know if I'd still be practicing asanas today, to be honest with you. And I feel like I've been sitting for almost as long as I've been doing asanas. So I had a friend of mine um, who introduced me to traditional Buddhist studies. My grandfather was Buddhist, but he never taught me. Um, I think it was, I was too young to learn much about the, the teachings from him and before he passed away. But I have a really good friend um, who took monastic vows. His monk name is Tenzin Sengi. Mm-hmm. And we were part of kind of the same uh, community in Miami. And he shared with me a lot of the teachings that he got from his Lama and some basics about meditation. So I was kind of like sitting, sitting, sitting without a lot of guidance. I asked Patabi Joyce if I could go and do the meditation retreat. And he said, sure, you know, um, go ahead. And he actually said, yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, and he said, I told him I was going to Nepal, and he was like, oh, maybe you'd not come back. And um, oh. yeah, and, and you know, I, I, it's interesting, because I do feel like I'm not, I wasn't the same person after I left that retreat. Yeah. So I feel like it's true that I didn't come back. That being that I was, that being oh, didn't come back. And oh. I really felt like, and so the, the way that that course kind of changed my relationship with myself, my mind, it did open a path to more holism. It did open a path to um, bringing kind of the intelligence and, and wisdom of, of um, kind of what we could call the buddhi, uh, that, that kind of higher consciousness into um, kind of cohabitation with the realm of the body, which I didn't really have before Vipassana. I mean, I talked about my body as kind of like a blob that I didn't really know. And I was really excited when I was able to differentiate the top from the bottom. And then after Vipassana, it felt like there was this um, kind of meeting between the touch point of intellect and embodiment. And that's something that 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 really meditation helped me find and ground. And I, you know, I processed a lot of old traumas. I processed a lot of um, things that I didn't even know were still kind of present within me. Um, and since that first course that I did in Nepal after, um, I think it probably was like 2002 was my first course. And then I kept sitting. So I did another course and another course. I, pr- I probably sat now, I don't know, like eight courses and I want to do another one next year and I feel like it's it's a really for me the the sitting practice is like I sit twice a day every day but I don't do asanas every day and certainly not twice a day so I feel like it's interesting in terms of how we think about the trajectory of our of our sitting practice our meditation practice the introspective practices is like that's a practice you can continue for the rest of your life and it will get deeper and deeper and deeper the results of which you will see in the interactions that um, you have in your life. Uh, but the asana practice, you know, um, maybe you don't go on an upward trajectory, you know, yeah. um, maybe, maybe there's a plateau, maybe there's a change in internal awareness. But if we're measuring sort of like asana perfection by external aesthetic standards, there's going to be a point where, yeah, okay, if you what you could do when you were 20, maybe you can still do, but differently and maybe adaptive when you're 90, you know, maybe mm-hmm. we get off of the asana achievement train, which I think is a healthy thing to get off of yeah. And, yeah. And, and understand what spiritual practices, understand what are we cultivating within asana. So for me, the, the meditation practice has given me a depth, um, a place to kind of return home to, 
um, and, and has given me kind of a place to uh, resolve many of the irresolutions within. And it's not like now it's perfect. I feel like, you know, I go through some stuff and then um, the asana practice was wonderful for, you know, grounding and keeping a root and this sort of thing. But in, the, in my sitting practice is, is, again, like I said, it's where I find my sanity. And I feel like with that, I can immediately see the difference if I don't sit just immediately, just that day itself. If for whatever reason I didn't sit, maybe there was a travel and like I arrive, then I feel there's a difference. Or if I feel like I'm going to give myself a holiday from sitting and I'm like, yeah, maybe not actually, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you have a holiday after sitting, it's better mm. for you. And there's also so much interesting research about how long-term sitting changes the neurobiology of your brain and so that's something that I feel is 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 it, to have that to have the the I have the lived experience of being a long-term sitting practitioner and that definitely again helped me just kind of soften the edges of asana as well and remove any sense of identity achievement from asana um, to understand oh well asana really helps in meditation, I feel because look, you're going to sit if your body is tight and it's yeah. uncomfortable for you to sit on the floor. It can be really helpful for you to like stretch your hips and become a little intimate with your body through the vehicle of asana. It's really going to help you be more comfortable when you sit on the floor. Mm. If you're if you've got a lot of back pain and you're hunched over um, and your psoas is really weak and stiff, then it's going to you're going to be in torture for, Miserable. you know, one hour sit. So please like take some asanas, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, do something, don't just sit there in, in misery. And I think it's really, really helpful, this combination. At the same time, the sitting practice really gives you the place to actually have a, a, a sort of forum where non-attachment is real, you know, and you can really practice letting go. So one of the things that I, that I realized very quickly is that, look, in asana practice, we can injure ourselves, you know, so we're constantly like, mm, am I pushing too hard? I better back off. Or oh, I should push a little more. Oh, no. So we're constantly like navigating the space. And injuries are real. Like people get injured. You know, you can injure yourself. You can get injured by a teacher. Your teacher can injure a student. It's unfortunate, but it happens. So it also happens in life. You can walk into a door and get a concussion. You know, mm. like life is also dangerous. Um, but in the sitting practice, I've had some really intense experience. Anybody who sits long term, We'll have similar experiences where there'll be pain, the kind of pain that you would experience in asana, but it doesn't lead to injury. It's really a temporary arising and passing of sensations. And if you were to experience that same pain in asana, you would immediately back away. But mm -hmm. in sitting, you just sit and it dissipates. And then it's like this transformation that allows you to really get the experience. Oh, I am not my body. Oh, there's some, this body is a thing that's, that, that I, it's a gift I have. I'm inhabiting it, but I am not my body. And you can watch the thoughts in a way that we do in asana because we're doing something. The very fact of doing puts a layer between, um, you know, our thoughts and ourselves and our bodies and ourselves. So in the sitting practice, it's like, th that's the place where I've had these realizations, the, the experiential realizations. Oh, I'm not my body. Oh, I'm not my mind but I'm this watching consciousness mm -hmm. that observes mind and body. And then what is that? And this is where it's interesting where, you know, like yoga and Buddhism have a conversation about what is the watching consciousness. So, you know, in the Buddha teachings, we'll say it's a Buddha nature in the yoga teachings. We say it's Purusha and it's like, well, we're saying the same thing with like different words. And then we can get into this whole kind of intellectual heady conversation about, well, the Buddha says there's no Atman. And then yoga <laughs> says there is the Atman and it's the Purusha and the this. And I'm like, listen, 
just go ahead and experience it. As soon as you realize it's not your body or not your mind, that that feeling is what both of the disciplines are after, you know? Yeah. And then beyond yeah. that, we can figure, we try to put words for something that's ineffable. And this is where we get into trouble. Yeah, I love that. It's the, the, the emptiness and the fullness, right? The, mm-hmm. the shanyata, the emptiness, and then like the infinite, the ananta, the fullness. And it's mm-hmm. just like this conversation and the emptiness is infinite and the infinite is empty. <laughs> it's, Absolutely. It's like, you know, the same thing. And I love that you you bring up like the being and the doing. And I feel like sometimes we get really stuck in the being in the asana practice. Or mm. sorry, stuck in the doing in, in the, the doing. asana practice where we're like, I gotta do this. I gotta do this. You know, it's like a lot of action in a way. And it's a lot of effort and willpower and like doing of something to get somewhere or something or some mm-hmm. experience. But then the meditation is is kind of like the antidote in a sense. It's like the balancing. It's just the being. And there's mm-hmm. really nothing you can do. And the more you try to do something in it, like the less it works. In a yeah. Weird way. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's just a beautiful, it's beautiful, like complementary, I think, practices. Mm-hmm. I encourage everybody who's been doing asanas for, you know, definitely more than five years, but I try to say if you've been doing asanas for two years or more, start a sitting practice. And so I, one of the things, honestly, that the last four years has kind of uh, freed me to do, I feel like, is um, include more uh, of the software teachings in my teachings. It was always like this big part of my personal sadhana that I never really felt comfortable sharing. Mm-hmm. But I found that during the pandemic, so many people were like, look, life is hard and full of misery. I, I, it takes so much discipline to get up and face this day because, you know, we felt we lived every day with so much uncertainty and so much doubt. And it was so difficult. It was like every day was tapas so that mm-hmm. so many people fell off the, the, the sort of the, the hard, the, the sort of discipline of the Ashtanga practice. And I was like, we don't need more jump throughs right now. We don't need another jump through workshop. We need like a space to heal and a space to come into ourselves. So I started to really emphasize the, you know, the softer side of my own personal practice, including in the teachings. And at some moment, I'm going to lead a silent uh, retreat. At some moment, I'm going to do mm-hmm. just asana and sitting and no talking. Um, but I'm awesome. figuring out, right. <laughs> so at some point, I have to find the right space for it, you know? Yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting. I had a question in my mind and it kind of segues really nicely into this. And forgive me, I, I don't want to, um, if you want to, I don't want to interrupt you, Harmony, but that that comment that you just said reminds me so much of your mom, Kino. <laughs> your mother struck me as a, as a like the, you're a little mini mom of your mother <laughs> and your mother had this kind of benevolent, peace to her maybe like a little anxious doing in the kitchen like she was kind of needed to do this little anxious kitchen you know but like total like quiet silence to her and maybe that's completely different when the guests are gone i i don't know i i don't want to i'm just projecting maybe but it, the question that i have and it, the heart of it is that i'm thinking of the three of us here just looking at the video and I'm, i was i was just I just felt the sense of that we, the three of us were amalgams of our parents and whatever kind of cultural trajectory that they were on and the habits and choices that they were making. And then as teenagers, the three of us just said, boom, we're going to make an intervention. We're going <laughs> to intervene in this habit and we're going to insert 
a yoga practice in this America, in this North American. And we're going to just see what happens for the next 30 years. And here we are sitting here. I, so I'm, I'm wondering about how you feel about that, about, do you feel like you're, you're that much different from your parents? And do you feel like you have made a big intervention? Mm, no, it's a super good question. And I think that when we're looking at um, sort of what you're tapping into is, you know, I'm sure like what we call in yoga samskaras, right? So these mm -hmm. are, are these long, these like behavioral patterns and they're so they're different ones. There's ones that like we do all by ourselves. Don't come from our parents or come from anywhere else, but like we hatch those patterns all by ourselves and there are <laughs> unique ones. There's ones that come from our families that are kind of our, 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 our immediate uh, kind of genetic inheritance. And mm -hmm. then there's the larger cultural ones that we kind of get from osmosis and a little bit from our, from, you know, from the, the, the atmosphere around us. Mm -hmm. and, and I feel like we all, that's what, that's exactly what yoga is. We're working with all of that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I feel that there, that there, there's so much of my, my, my mom and my dad that I find that I, I absolutely love and find inspirational. And there are definitely parts of their lives that I felt like I want to take a different path, you know? Mm. Um, and I have to say that I have the privilege to have had that choice because they worked so hard to allow me that space to have that choice. So mm. the very decision that they made to allow me the choice to not make the decision that they made, if that makes yeah. sense, yeah. right? Totally. So, you know, but both my parents are first generation immigrants, you know, so my, my mom is, you know, uh, my mom is Japanese and born in the United States. My dad is Scottish. His parents immigrated from Scotland. He's born in the United States. My dad uh, has passed away now, but he's the only one of, 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 of uh, I think he has seven total. Um, so he's one of seven. He's the only he's the youngest and the only one to go to college. His parents died, but his mom died when when um, she when when he was six months old, and his father died when he was five years old. Whoa. So uh, he was the only one of his family to be adopted, and it was during the Great Depression, post World War II, in the United States, mm -hmm. where resources were spread really thinly. And um, you know, uh, he, he he so he the fact that he sort of went to college, uh, got a degree, and how he ended up in Miami. He was so his, his parents immigrated to Ohio. His dad was a coal miner and a baker. Died in a coal mining accident. Nobody explained to my father what happened until he was like almost twenty. All he knew as a five year old was that his dad went to work and never came home. But mm -hmm. his dad died in a coal mining accident. Um, but again, it's the great depression and nobody told him, you know, there was mm -hmm. no social worker. There was no family. There was just the other kids and no that was it. Sessions. Yeah. There was no therapy session. Oh my God. My dad didn't tell, my dad didn't tell me about this until like it came up through some healing work and some like psychic development work that we were doing. And he, he, yeah. I, I, the only thing my dad ever said about Ohio was that's a horrible place. Let's never go there. <laughs> Which is not Again, agree with everything in this conversation so far. Mm. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. but it's just his memory of it. Anyhow, so so like he 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 like went through this really difficult time. Went and got a degree, and to get to pay for the degree, he enlisted in the ROTC and the, the you know the armed services reserve, and, reserve officer training exactly. Program. And then um, they, he did the training and did his course of study. And then they said, well, where would you like to be stationed? And he and his, he and his buddy, they, put, they thought they were joking. And his buddy put down Honolulu and my dad put down Miami Beach. And they got their assignments and he was like, sweet. And he... <laughs> 
you know, went to Miami Beach and uh, didn't go back to Ohio for like 25 years. Wow. You met your mom (laughs) there. You met my mom and then they got together and they were, they were married for like, I don't know, 10, maybe 10, 15 years before they had me. So I feel like in some ways my dad is the one that my mom likes to travel. My dad was always the one that kind of had this, you know, uh, desire to explore and see other places. My dad was, my dad um, was always the one more quiet, more meditative, more emotional. My mom um, would, would, my mom, I have my, my, my work ethic from like my mom and I are super hard workers. We, we get everything done and we do it quietly and without much fuss. Um, I have also from, I have also from my mom, which I see my, my, which, which I have a little bit less of than she does, but we both have kind of like, sometimes it can happen like a snack temper, like it was just something like suddenly it can be like, what is that? You know, and then and my, my, my mom can curse at things sometimes, for example, like she's small and sometimes she can't reach a cup. So she's like, God damn that cup. And then she'll, <laughs> reach it and she'll like curse at it why do you put these cups so high and I'm like I don't know Tim mounted the cabinet you know and uh, I have that in me and I've worked on that so I feel Mm -hmm. like there are all of these different factors and honestly I feel like there's some of this kind of genetic inheritance of some scars like it took me until I'm like you know, 40 years old to process. Like I didn't even, I didn't even process that I'm a mixed race person until I'm 40 years old. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. even realize like, oh, I'm, I've been considered white the majority of my life, like just Mm -hmm. categorized with like all the white people. And then it's taken like the whole, like the whole, a whole kind of like a rising in racial consciousness for me to realize, oh, I'm white passing like multiracial. I'm not like I'm not You're white passing multiracial. Wow. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is a whole other sort of thing. So even sometimes like, like that's a whole other source of, uh, 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 of kind of, you know, identity and some scars that come up and, you know, I've worked mm-hmm. with, like I've, I've done my own personal growth around that and talked with my mom about that and how that, you know, and, and her stories of what she talks about are just so much more devastating than anything I experienced, you know, She's traveling with my my mom and dad are traveling in Germany and my dad is like you know he's he's 100% Scottish he looks Northern European they're traveling in Germany he studied German in school so he's walking around like speaking German to people on their European vacation and then he, a, a German woman walks up to my dad and says in German shame on you shame on you for being with this uh, you know um, inadequate species you're right. you know de- destroying the DNA of our good German you know, oh my gosh. and then my, then like, then my mom was like, what did she say? And my dad was like, oh. she said, you're really beautiful. <laughs> that's good. Oh, her, like, man. Like, later. So that's just like, you know, like all of these different things. My mom was raised in segregation. So mm-hmm. every time she went to the bathroom, she had to ask, where do you want me to go? White or colored? Cause she, you know, she's like, technically I'm yellow. Do I go and call it like, what, yeah. where do I go? You know, and um, so it's like this whole other world. But like she fought in that world to um, to 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 have three different careers and ultimately start her own business and create her own livelihood. And it's probably not the career that she would have dreamed of, but it's Mm -hmm. the one that she made work. So because she was able to make it work and because my dad committed himself to also something that probably wasn't his dream, but it was good at like come from where he came from. He was a teacher. Um, and took early retirement and I think retirement was probably his dream um, and <laughs> yeah. so, you know but but with that foundation they 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 definitely had some ideas about what I should do with my life 
But when I started doing yoga, I, I thought, wow, I'm going against everything that I thought, like that family samskara, like what you were talking about, Russell. Yeah. I, I had these fears of like, I'm going against all of this, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not following that. I'm not, um, you know, even though I have a business now, I'm not following that path. I'm not going to take over my mom's business. I'm not like my parents always thought me, you should go and maybe go to law school. And I thought I was going to go to law school for a period of time. And I was just realizing it's not for me. Um, now I kind of wish I had gone to law school just for the <laughs> education Jesus. of it. <laughs> you know, there are some times where I would have loved to say I'm a lawyer, you know, because I've know. been in situations where, and like the legal bills you get in situations where you need to hire a lawyer. If yeah. I just read that stupid stuff by myself, but, um, you know, so, but I had all this fear of like, well, I'm not following that path. So I did have this moment where I talked to my parents about it and I was like, are you upset with me that I'm not going to be a lawyer that I'm not going to have, you know, a corporate job and that I'm doing something else. And, and what both my parents said to me was, we've seen the impact that yoga has had on you. And we just want you to follow that path as much Mm. as we can. And we want to support you in that as much as we can. Mm. And so that, that felt really, really good. And then, and then, you know, and then I think, and my dad said to me at some moment, you know, my dad is definitely someone who has influenced the way that I think and see uh, things a lot. Um, You know, um, he said to me that, that he just sort of encouraged me to explore these different avenues of like being a lawyer, following some career path or um, whatnot, just because he didn't want me to struggle. And, yeah. and then he said, it's now this- that I see that you can create a life for yourself out of what you love, I couldn't have dreamed it better. Right. Oh, it's so a nice. real immigrant yeah. ethic to come in and, and just make it work. And Absolutely. to want that for your, your children as well. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah. But, there, you know, I think, I think for them, if I, if I, if they, if they hadn't seen me happy doing yoga, I think they would have probably been like, well, let's, uh, you know, yeah. encourage you to go back to law school or something like that. But, um, yeah. The fact that the the happiness, you know, and then I mean, I tried to get them to practice, but they were like, mm, "My mom yeah. has promised me that she will sit a vipassana." So yeah. I and I'm like, the pandemic is irritating for many reasons, but because we had one booked and we were both accepted and we were gonna go, and the pandemic and they canceled it, and I was like, "Man, when am I ever gonna get her to commit again?" You know <laughs> yeah, right? I remember but, we talked on your podcast. Um, I think maybe 2021 last year I think or or the year before at the end of 2020 um when I was doing the workshop on ohm stars um and you had just gotten back from I think it was 2021 because you were at the Mm. Vipassana at the end of 2020 or something I don't know yes exactly and uh and then I went and sat a another 10-day course in November last year and the whole time I was thinking of our conversation of you saying, oh, it was really nice because I had my own room and my, like my own little yeah. cell area where I could do a little bit of practice. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm following Kino's Kino's advice yeah. and like I have my own little personal you space. Or you room had your own little practice. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this yeah. is perfect. <laughs> exactly. It's so oh. nice. But speaking of, speaking of, like getting stuff done and doing all the things and having like that that drive that I don't know passion and purpose fueling everything you do I mean how on earth do you do all the things that you do my dear you <laughs> like invent a, a yoga tv channel like home stars 
you and Tim have the Miami Life Center. Now Miami Yoga Garage is like a huge you undertaking. Have, you have six books. Six books. Mm. Some kind of like crazy social media, you know, online <laughs> you extravaganza. Respond, you respond to all one, you respond to your one million followers on Instagram personally every day. <laughs> this is so nice. Yeah. So how do you do it all? Come on, tell us your secrets. I mean, I feel like I'm someone that has a lot of energy. Like I actually was just talking to someone this morning. Like I don't drink coffee. Um, <laughs> first of all, I don't like the taste of it. Like it's just not for me. It never has been. And but then the few times that I've been like, okay, I'm like, let's try to like, you know, Tim loves coffee. Yeah. So then like I've been a couple of times like, all right, let's drink some coffee. And I get like heart palpitations and I like run it's around a like a crazy too person. too much for you. Yeah. It's too much. I, it. I think it's. If it's a severe stimulant, like I feel like I may as well have done a line of cocaine, you know, yeah. like it's, that, it's, just, it's sort of like cocaine without the ego. It's just like give you the energy, but not the, <laughs> the ego that, part. That, that sexy feeling, <laughs> yeah. which is so nice. Mm. Yeah, you don't get that with the coffee. No. That's what I mean. okay. <laughs> Yeah, we can leave all that. That's what I mean. No ego, just the energy. You know, the heart palpitations. For me, it was the heart palpitations. I was like, oh, I know this from somewhere. Where do I know this? I didn't think this is for me. Um, and then also the come down. And I was, and then I'm like shattered. It's like, what happened? Oh, I drank a cup of coffee. This is really not for me. Um, so and I have a lot of energy, and I'm like, well, I'm going to do something with it, and it may as well be a benefit, you know. Mm. So I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I feel like, like I, I'm good at switching off. But mm -hmm. I'm also like, I, I'm also on for a lot of the time. Like I can totally switch off and do nothing, but doing nothing for me is really nothing. Like I don't, I'm not, I don't really like, I don't really like to get sucked into movies and, you know, um, mm -hmm. TV and this kind of thing. Like sometimes between Tim and I, Tim's like, let's watch something. I'm like, okay, one, we will watch one. I've always been someone that can manage my time. Mm -hmm. So for me, I feel like um, strangely, uh, the public aspect of teaching and interacting with people uh, that has a certain um, requires a certain type of energy. And yeah. then the yeah. way for me to recharge from that certain type of energy would be to do something without any interaction. So that can involve writing that can involve even making a video for me, because if I make a video, sometimes I'll do it completely myself. Sometimes I'll have my team, but then it's, there's like, there's not that kind of interaction. If I'm doing a live class. It's different. Um, but then I, then there are these things where, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this and I, and then I'm in my own energy. I'm in my own flow. And whether sometimes it's going for a walk, I love to be out in the nature and this helps me recharge. Um, my sitting practice gives me the, the sort of mental space and clarity to focus on some things. And the, the, I think maybe the most important thing is that um, very much like in my asana practice, if I don't feel it, I don't push. So mm -hmm. if I feel like, this project, it's not really happening. Yeah, I'm not really feeling inspired by it. Yeah, I'm not doing it. Um, and that's taken me a long time to come to because when I first started, I would just out of, I think a place of insecurity, say yes to everything. Yeah, sure, I'll go teach that. Absolutely, I'll do that too. Yeah, I'll take that on also. Sure, I'll write that blog for you. Yeah, okay, let's do that too. And then someone was like, I can do this all, but do I really need to? So now I'm like, wait a minute, where am I feeling the pull? Um, and if I don't feel the pull, let me wait and wait till I feel, yeah, let's do that. Like what's inspiring about that? Okay, I'm going to do that. Like I get, I'm sure you do too. You get so many requests of people that are like, I've invented blah, blah, blah. I want to come on your podcast. I've yeah. invented this. And I'm like, eh, thanks, but not right now. But um, it's also just like designs on her time. Like people want her time every time. day, exactly. all day long. 
Yeah. Nobody wants my time necessarily, but yeah. people yeah. really want Harmony's time. Yeah. And that's yeah. like Could watching it is like, oh, <laughs> She's saying maybe no. you should take on the role of assistant and then you could take on some of those oh, meetings. She would love that. having me as an assistant, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing would get done. <laughs> well, I'd like to say no to things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, well, my, that's good. I yeah. feel like I, I have, and so part of what allows me to do so much is I do have a good team of people around me that do say no to things. Because I have a lot of ideas. And so some of them will say, like, we don't have the, we don't have the capacity to do that. Yeah. And then sometimes I'll take on too much. And so then to have a good team of people that say, this is what we have the resources for. This is what we have the resources for. And then right. accept that. And then mm -hmm. there are some things that are like, okay, well, I, like, there are some things that I do by myself that I don't need additional resources for. And then that's fine. Like, you know, uh, so I'm working on a new book right now. And the... The, the new book is about accessibility in Ashtanga. So it'll be something totally different. So many people have been writing to me like, you know, write a third series book. And I'm like, yeah, maybe not. Like maybe learn that from a teacher. Like, I don't want to see somebody with a copy of my book trying to do like Durvashasana and then like blow their knee. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Blow their knee, like, blow yeah. their hip, blow yeah, their back. Well, yeah. How about not, you know? Or like mm -hmm. what, like I'm going to give instructions for Gandhubarandasana in a book? Mm -hmm. Like maybe, maybe actually, maybe... No. Maybe not. It's not so no. helpful. Get, get the DVD. Yeah. You have a DVD for it. Mm. <laughs> or the, but not even that. Like I feel like go and learn from a teacher. Like at this point, yeah. like at, at, when you get to that stage, like I think it's so I, I actually went completely in the other direction of accessibility. So the, the accessibility book that I'm working on will have um, a floor variation and a chair variation of every asana um, from sun salutations through the end of closing, nice. including primary and second. Because there are some asanas mm -hmm. in second that can be adapted very, very well for a chair practice and mm -hmm. can be very healing and therapeutic for people that aren't able to get up and down from the floor. And I just feel like, why does Ashtanga have to be, you know, uh, a sort of, you know, a, a, um, a, a kind of, yeah. And, 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 and it, yeah, like almost like a competition of the, the, the flexible and the strong. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. like, no, that's not what the practice is. The practice is something else. So, but if there's no tools for that, if people don't see, oh, I could, I could adapt the practice to a chair. If people don't see that, then they'll think it's not possible. Right. So I really, you know, I feel like that, that question of accessibility need, is something that I think our lineage desperately needs. So I've devoted a lot of resources to that, taking pictures, yeah. brought in um, different diverse body types to um, be the, the students and the images and I'm going through all of the all of that. And of course, when we ask the question of accessibility, we have to ask the question of um, you know, equity in in our in our lineage. And it brings up all of the questions of intersectional justice and you know, to, to ask those questions of, well, why has it taken us so long to welcome um, you know, adaptations of the asanas and 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 why what what like what what about our lineage has put kind of the put this equivalence between strength like fit flexible bodies with spiritual sort of advancement and how can we re rehabilitate yeah. that you know exactly because yeah. that's that's the achievement focus right so if mm -hmm. someone has achieved third series then they must be spiritually advanced and that's yeah. a, that's a dangerous place to to situate ourselves mm -hmm. oh absolutely because then it's like well we made then then all the contortionists are enlightened beings you know mm -hmm. so totally. you know and i the contortionists are amazing they've devoted their lives to that and the same thing with like hand balancers and i've studied with them i've taken classes with them i think it's really inspiring mm -hmm. you know um because they don't have any of like the the dogmas around like 
you know, put the hand here, don't put the hand there. They're just like, you know, the feet should only feel like this and whatever. They're just like, you want to take the feet wide? Let's take the feet wide. You know, and it's mm-hmm. like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. gonna, I was gonna ask you about your last book, the the act of love. I, I do you feel do do you still want to talk about that? Would you rather talk about your new book? Yeah, because like to talk about both. Of them. It seems like it. It also is again about the 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 tagline radically reprogram your mind is so so much again about this transformational journey that seems to be like i said the, the through line through your through your life or my experience of it. yeah no absolutely so i mean i feel like one of the things that we don't realize is that we have um you know uh, seeds for every action and every thought that we take and mm-hmm. we think this sort of seed or root of one behavior one action is one thing but in actuality, that seed or root is something else. And so mm-hmm. if we want to uh, kind of change the way we be in, in the world, we need to address not only our conscious intentions around things, but our subconscious intentions around things. So mm-hmm. um, one of the things that uh, I've done in my new, my, my recent book, Act of Love, is to uh, take a teaching that kind of came to me in a meditation retreat and really dive into it from the paradigm of uh, sort of retraining and repatterning our thoughts and then taking that rubric and applying it to different uh, aspects and paradigms within within everyone's life. So the first thing to understand is that the conscious mind is only about 5% of our total uh, cognitive thinking and our cognitive power. The subconscious mind is about 95% of our cognitive power. And mm-hmm. it's the root in the, in the subconscious mind that really ends up determining the course of our life. Right. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that came up for me after a period of kind of another period of really intense struggle after my father passed away and a, a, another really intense like legal battle happened and, and a whole other host of things that happened that really just kind of brought me to a really, really down place. Um, I sort of had to realize that, oh, the seed of my behavior wasn't really pure. I, I was I, w- I was narcissistic in that moment. I was egoic in that moment. I was deluded in that moment. So then there was this kind of teaching that came to me during a meditation retreat, which seems really simple, which is let everything you do be an act of love. Everything. Hmm. So I was like, okay, well, in order to do that, I need to understand, number one, how a thought can impact the mind. And so this is where contemporary neuroscience comes in and we understand neuroplasticity, that the more you think a thought, the easier it is for you to think that type of thought and that t- and that types of thoughts group together and create um, hardwired patterns in the biology of our brain. Mm-hmm. So then um, if you can slowly start to think different thoughts and take different actions that reinforce those different thoughts, then you can actually um, create new neural pathways in the brain. So this is one thing that was really inspiring to me about, oh, well, it's not just once that we need to do something, but it's really everything, a consistent effort, a disciplined effort to retrain, which is kind of like what we do in asana, you know, like, okay, my arm does this and I don't want it to do that. I can't just do it once in a new way. I need to do it every single time in a new way if I want to change the behavior. Well, great. That's for the arm. But how do we do that for our brain? How do we do that for our thoughts? So that's kind of what I worked on and then to address what is action and of course to bring in the teachings of yoga and the teachings of karma and the teachings of the Gita about what does it mean to act and 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 where our intentionality comes in in action and what is love right so love is like one of the most popular phrases you know that that gets used (laughs) everything from like loving pizza to spiritual bypassing to understanding our you know our, our intimate relations so we really kind of dissected what that can mean and then apply you know what does it mean to act in love in relationships 
What does it mean to act in love in, in terms of how you see and view your own body? What does it mean to act in love when you run a business and have to operate in kind of the capitalist sphere? What does it mean to act in love in terms of a relationship with the divine and a relationship with God? Like, what does that mean? And so to really kind of question and consider it. And I've drawn upon uh, many examples from teaching and many examples from my own life to uh, help the teachings become relatable. And each chapter ends kind of with a takeaway exercise and a way to apply some of the teachings. And it was really difficult to write this book because in my first first book that was not about yoga asana practice <laughs> and it was I feel really kind of like almost a little bit shy and um excited to release something like this and I hope it opens up the door for more books like this because I do have I do have at least two other ideas for books that are non-asana related and mm -hmm. have those kind of sketched out in an outline but now I'm working on an asana book because I feel like it's important for the lineage and then mm -hmm. I'm going to after I complete this project I'm going to pivot back to one of the other ideas that I have about creating um, a teaching that's rooted in the spiritual path but is not you know an asana instruction manual I mean like there, at some moment there's enough instruction out there about how to do forward bend totally we should, i couldn't have, agree more my love if you have a <laughs> book coming out on how to get bo your books published yeah i mean i think that like the biggest advice for anyone who wants to get a book published is like write it first because you cannot go with an idea to a publisher you need to completely write it and you need to have a plan for how it's going to sell because publishing is really difficult industry these days. Yeah. So if the, if a publisher is going to take a bet on you, it, that thing that they need to see the product and they need to see how you're going to actually get that product into the hands of readers. Mm -hmm. And if you still really, really believe in yourself and you don't, um, make it into a, a publisher. There are a lot of intermediaries available now that are like halfway between a traditional publisher and self-publishing that um, if you have the financial resources, you can you can pay for. Um, and then when the when the sort of book sells, you'll get that investment back. Or you could do a GoFundMe if you really believe in it and pre-sell the books. Uh, right. and, and that works as well. But the most important thing is to have the thing written. Mm -hmm. Have the thing written. If you don't have it written and you're not, you know, Barack Obama, it's going to be very <laughs> difficult to get a, a ghostwriter to write it for you. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is very generous. Advice. Yeah, that's great. But I, I want to know: Do you like to write in the? I mean, this is always my thing. You know, the morning times, like this, this incredible mm. time, and like my brain's so fresh, and I love to like do creative work in the morning. But then it's also like the time for the meditation, and the time for the asana, and the, the time, time for, for the just like so many things to do in the morning that it it feels like like impossible <laughs> to fit it all in. Mm -hmm. So when do you like yeah. to write? I mean, cause you obviously have yeah. a habit and a practice mm -hmm. of writing regularly mm -hmm. to write six books, seven books on the yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think I do, I do one of two things. If I'm going to, if I know I'm taking a deep dive into writing a manuscript, then um, I do actually use the morning time and I just mm -hmm. adjust everything. So I will spend, I will, I will get up before, before Tim gets up. And I will spend a minimum one hour, drink a, like brush my teeth, drink a cup of tea, immediately write. And I write mm -hmm. for like an hour, maybe two hours. 
And then I just adjust everything after that. And so I'll, I'll mm. know that like, okay, now I'm writing and this is my time to write. So then I sit after that and then I do my asana practice. I get a little hungry when I do that. So then maybe I have extra cups of tea with extra honey in it. <laughs> yeah. I really love honey. I'm, I'm vegan, but I do I do eat honey. I, and um, that's a whole other conversation. But I mean, like oh, agriculture. They like making that honey. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a whole, but it's a whole question of agriculture. In order to support agriculture without bees, we have no agriculture. So if you eat mm-hmm. almonds, if you eat raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, um, most fruits, uh, you rely on some sort of bee farming in order to pollinate uh, so natural bees will never work on the scale of, of agricultural production. So we, we want to support somehow a sustainable bee farming where the, the bees are not fed sugar, but the bees are, are actually part of our, are integrated in a bi- biodynamic way to our agriculture system. And if we don't support those bee farmers and buy their honey, they have no income. So they can't uh, actually do that. And without those bee farmers, you don't even have alfalfa sprouts without right. bees. Wow. So it's like, so if you don't want to eat the honey, you need to pay the bee farmers somehow. But somehow <laughs> bees are an integra- integral part in our agriculture system. So it's, it's one of these questions of, yeah, like don't eat the honey out of like sugar packets that like that, that that's right. not that, feeding the bees sugar. That's terrible. But sustainable bee farming that, that keeps the planet, you know, um, pollinating with something. I'm a big fan of that. So yeah. in the mornings, I, will, I, I actually like, I will take some of that sustainable, um, small batch, unheated, raw um, honey and put it in a lot of tea, especially when I'm writing. Cause like, I don't want to eat a meal before I do my practice, but like, I will definitely have very uh, sweet tea multiple times while I'm writing and then I'll sit. And then the hardest thing about that is when I'm finished writing, I'm tired. Right. So mm. I'm like I'm tired. Yeah. Hence the sweet tea. So I'm like, all right, time for some sweet tea. And then the second hardest thing about that is if I don't start my sitting practice before Tim wakes up, then I have Tim, who's more talkative than you would expect from a Scandinavian. Everybody loves Tim. (laughs) He's wonderful, but he is talkative. So then, you know, he starts talking and I'm like, I'm going to go sit now. Um, And so I try to somehow wake up and I I wake up much earlier than he does. So I just wake up and I try to, okay, now I'm writing and that's what I'll do when I'm deep into a manuscript, but then I'll have a second time in the day when I come back to the manuscript. It's usually after practice, after lunch or brunch or whatever, depending on how late the practice goes. And then I'll come back to the manuscript a second time in the day, not in the evening, because if I get too stimulated in the evening, I can't sleep. So I'll Mm -hmm. come back to and it's always hard for me to get started in the afternoon. But if I just get started and I just take it as a discipline, now I have an hour, whatever comes out, comes out, it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. here I'm not able to write in the morning because I don't know how many morning. No, um, it's so, the middle of the night. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm doing kind of like an afternoon practice where it's like around between two and four, I'm doing some writing. So I'm like two to four okay. writing ish nice. and then coconuts. So yeah, yeah, nice. Oh, that's amazing. I love, I well, love hearing that. It's so cool to just hear like how you like set up your day and like, you know, because I think it's really important it's to be flexible with when you're practicing Mm -hmm. and your morning routine. And like, especially when you have important product projects that you're working on, sometimes you do need to shift things around and like find what's going to work for you. I just Mm -hmm. want to say that I'm really in the mood for like a Mysore Mylare. And I wonder (laughs) if we could go, if we could like the four of us, if we could go now and go get, go go to Mylare and go get a dose. Would you, can you ask Tim if he wants to come? Because I would love to go. Why don't we all. I've been thinking about Mylare too, actually. (laughs) 
<laughs> first of all, here in my this trip, there's so many like Western kind of style things. There's like a French, there's like a French cafe people go to and they get croissants. Oh, right. And there's like a boulangerie and a pâtisserie. And I'm like, drive by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what is that? Amazing. And um, Tim and I are like, and there's a new Idli place that's really good. But we went, the first thing we did when we got here was go to Idli Man. And then yeah. Idli Man now produces also small fried like fritters that if you don't want, you have to say no to, but you just get them. And we were just <laughs> like, what's that? <laughs> okay, I'll take a fried fritter. Like, I don't mind. Like a little vada. Like a vada. It's like a flat pakora. So it, it, it looks like, it looks kind of like a fried mini veggie burger. And oh. yeah. <laughs> it's not bad. It's, it's kind of tasty. I don't think it's so healthy. Cutlet. Kind of Is it cutlet? One <laughs> cutlet. Like cutlet. It's like one. Cutlet yeah. coming? But it, yeah. But it's I not on take... the menu and you don't ask for it. That's so yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. I would like two yeah. cutlets. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you're like, okay. Yeah, that was uh, always Jediah's favorite, the Italy man and his uh, his Italy's and his (laughs) vadas. He loves them. Dasa Prakash is non-existent anymore. So Dasa Prakash. What about Paradise? Dasa Prakash Paradise. It does actually. We were supposed to go. We were supposed to go today, but we cannot. We had something else came up, so we cannot. We're going to go today. Coffee ice cream. Tomorrow. (laughs) Coffee ice cream is my favorite at the Dasa Prakash Paradise. Doesn't have ice cream though. She's vegan now. Who, yeah. Really? I'm vegan. We can, yeah. you know, I'm, we can have a cold coffee ice cream and still be vegan. Coffee, maybe not for me ever. Oh, no. yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. ice cream. I've never been a big ice cream fan either. You know, know, it's quite cold. Yeah, it's the ice cream is freezing. Do you drink the green tea or the black tea? I like both green tea and black tea. Right. Yeah. It's the same bush. I know. I was just curious. I like both. Yeah, it's the same I, I, bush. I, I, one is fermented. It's the same. Yeah, green or like black. chai. I like them both. You, you have say chai green, when you're in India. Green or red? Yeah. I, well, I haven't chai. had chai in a long time because honestly, like, I I have been um almost almost vegan since I started practicing, and then I would come mm. to India, and it's, you know, twenty years ago, it was impossible to be vegan in yeah, India. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, like yeah. you, like you couldn't yeah. eat any food because everything had ghee in it. You know, and you're yeah, just like, yeah. oh well, no, I can't even have a chapati because it has ghee. And you just be like, well, vegan I'm plus starve. ghee. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah, you know. And so, because I would come to India and be like, well, I'm gonna drink the chai because there's no other option. There was no soy milk. You couldn't get yeah. non-dairy mm-hmm. milk anywhere. You know, yeah. when I first came to the old Shala and Lakshmikoram, be like, okay. And but at home, I was I was basically vegan. Like I wasn't drinking milk. I wouldn't have any dairy. Um, and then, uh, but then in India, and then I, it was weird because every time I come to India, I would just I would just be like, oh, I would just drink the chai. You know, it's a different ethic system over here. But I was always get like sinus infection. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. like ten because you're about lactose intolerant. Yeah. Yeah. And then like 10 years ago, I was like, you know what? Like, it's really cool to sit on the steps and like hang out and drink like Amrit's chai. But what if I just don't? And then let me see if I get a sinus infection. Or if I just sit there and hang out and Tim drinks the chai and I feel a little sad. And I tried one time to drink like the non milky tea. That was terrible. I've tried that too. Yeah, water yeah. is a wonderful option. Um, yeah. Can't and then, drink the and water. Then, and then, like you know, knock on wood, but I haven't like I haven't had the, the like debilitating mm-hmm. sinus infections when I've come here. There are actually now again a lot of places like Depth and Green, they'll and Santosha, and like kind of like the places that the yoga students go to. They'll they'll have a vegan chai. Unfortunately, if you're vegan in India, you can't go to a lot of the local places. Like you walk in, you're like, do you have any non dairy milk? And they're like, yeah, no huh? problem. 
Mm. <laughs> then they just give you the regular milk and then they're like yeah dairy milk no problem and you're like yeah. i said on the, it's vegan milk but there is there are um in in some of the biggest like in bangalore there starts to be like a, a vegan community that's growing and like oh. even within the local community yeah. so oh, yeah, yeah. starting to come yeah we interviewed a a, um, a vegan from nepal uh, babita Shrestha, who wrote a a, a vegan Nepalese cookbook. It was wonderful. I made her yeah. momos, but it didn't. From the cookbook. From the cookbook, yeah. <laughs> they didn't work out very well. I, no. They became cutlets. They became cutlets. cutlets. Oh, no. They did. They became flat bakora cutlets. We There's actually right a momo place that's opened and a noodle Ooh. place that's opened here. So that so that's cool, you know. And then that that uh, the momos. You, you took me exciting. to some momo place over on the east side of town. Yeah, it was like Brooklyn. the Chinese shop. I think, Chinese shop. Yeah. The mm -hmm. yeah. There's and this there starts to be more like Chinese like Chinese restaurants and mm -hmm. and um uh you know other other Asian restaurants and so that so then then there starts to be other options like noodles and things that are not necessarily you know made with ghee and whatnot but I mean I love I, I like I, I, these are amazing and if you can get a you know like a plain dosa yeah. or set dosa yeah, it's really amazing nice. to go to my lari and say no butter um <laughs> who, who says no butter <laughs> pack the butter on mm. yeah no butter <laughs> do you find it hard to be vegan when you're traveling or is it pretty easy i feel it's easier and easier and easier you know yeah. uh easier and easier and easier like before like uh, uh, you know like 10 years ago difficult and i've never been uh, outside of india i've never been a milk drinker so and that or dairy person. So for me, uh, I, I think when I met Tim, I took a small like road into experiencing his culture. Um, <laughs> which, you know, he's <laughs> <was> like <laughs> some cheese <laughs> and dairy. <laughs> yeah, still like no milk, but like he he the other day he had like a, he like he like drank a glass of milk, and I was like, what do you what who does that? that you know. Yeah. But you know, Patavi Joyce used to say one kg of milk every day, then yeah, you know, uh, backbending, uh, no problem. Backbending, you know, no so problem. We were just talking like, about that. Yeah. Get that in. But I think it's easier and easier. And so I feel like consciousness starts to shift. And there are so many people like that um, are interested in eating less meat, mm -hmm. at least for the benefit of the planet, yeah, and yeah. consume less dairy for the benefit of the planet. So I feel like when it starts to be um, kind of like a more broadly accepted part of an ethical decision that we might make for um, the, you know, the, the long-term health of our, our planet and ultimately our species, then more and more people are kind of getting on that bandwagon and maybe they're not vegan, but they are super happy to have like a couple of vegan days each week in the mm -hmm. U.S. Um, like Kevin Hart, the comedian Kevin Hart, mm -hmm. he just opened like a, like a vegan restaurant um, in LA, that's like, wow. uh, like, a, like a burger place. And so <laughs> like, it's interesting that I feel like they're, they're within the vegan community. I feel like there are, there's like a vegan health conscious, yeah. you know, yeah. train. And that's the train that was actually slower to take off. And then there's a vegan environmentally conscious train, which is kind of like, I'm vegan for the planet, but I want to eat whatever I want to eat. Yeah, so, that's going to be popular. Yeah. And that's, and I feel like that, and I'm all for that. I mean, I don't, I don't always, like, I'm, I'm for a really good veggie burger and some good fries, but not every day, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not a huge vegan cheese fan, but I, I feel like it's very strange to me. Um, you know, like weird looking, but 
occasionally here and there why not I mean I'm a big fan of like fruits and like fruits especially uh if I could live if I if there was a way I could live off of fruits and nuts I would but I'm going to think that you have to add in some vegetables and some grains uh, for health purposes a little soy once in a while (laughs) yeah you know a little tapati beans every once in a while (laughs) once in a while you know not before a flight they have, a, they have an air conditioning system. It's interesting. Mm. I, I was curious, like with your um, master's degree, looking at like feminism and the planet and agriculture. And I was wondering if that at all tied in with like your choice to like be vegan or how you would see that, like a changing relationship with sort of, you know, the feminist movement and how we're relating to the world and the earth and like our food choices. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, if you start looking into the, the, the sort of diction and syntax that's used around um, food production, mm-hmm. then the, the choices that you want to make to support different food practices and support different um, kind of, you know, ways of thinking about our relationship between our bodies and the planet and, 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 and our, our, you know, our, our industrialization of agriculture and how that impacts the planet. It, it's, it's a huge part of it. I mean, this is, like I said, I, I haven't, I haven't been drinking milk since I, since really ever. I mean, I think like, I, I think, I think my parents probably fed it to me when I was a kid, but I mean, I probably, I, I remember buying soy milk when I'm 16 years old and mm-hmm. having also being, you know, part Japanese then I think that's part of the culture and also mm-hmm. having tofu and my dad really being like oh you really are like your grandfather <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, and then as soon as I, st- I mean from even before I started doing yoga I was interested in um, the environment and interested in of, like sort of understanding how the impact of our actions have on the environment so like one of the first statistics is you know how particularly um you know, beef and the the production of the large scale kind of industrialization of cows for meat uh, has on the planet. That was something I read when I was very young and Mm -hmm. my parents were, you know, they adopted like, you know, the classic kind of American diet. And so they were like, Mm -hmm. they were treated steak as something of a sign that they made it. So then, you know, and at some moment, I, I think I'm like, I think I'm like maybe 14. And I, I think I read Al Gore's book or something mm-hmm. like this, uh, An Inconvenient Truth, and then mm-hmm. read some other research on this. And then I just told my parents, I'm like, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not eating beef of any type anymore. It's over. Like, we're not doing that for me, but please eat your steaks. And, and, you know, and that's where my dad's like, oh, great. So tofu now. You know. And, uh, <laughs> I think all of our parents did that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think, but yeah. So, so I mean, I think that's a big part of it is once you start to get conscious, and so it's this journey of consciousness. If you're unconscious about where things come from, whatever, you know, it's kind of like whatever. But then, as soon as you apply the rubric of consciousness, it's kind of like back to the back to that notion of like the body is a blob. So you don't know your body. Of course, you treat it like crap. You know, you're mm-hmm. not in your body. You don't feel your body. It's just this blob that goes around, and maybe it produces some pain. And you try to whack the blob to make the pain go away, and you know, and it's like <laughs> put some tablets in to make it shut up and whatever. And then, mm-hmm. if that's your relationship with food, then okay, like this food arrives. Oh, it's tasty. Give me more. And you don't, you know, put the lens of consciousness. You don't think about how nutritious is it. Where did it come from? 
work the whole angle of, well, who made this? That's some, well, someone made this and this is a loaf of bread and someone baked this and there was wheat. There was someone that harvested the wheat and then the wheat was grown in a country that had, you know, um, that had soil and the soil received nourishment from generations of various plants that have grown there and various animals that have also, you know, human beings and non-human beings that have died and been put back into the earth. And then the cycle continues. Think about it. Like, wow, oh my goodness, this garment that I'm wearing, where did this come from? What fabric is it from? Oh, it's mm -hmm. recycled polyester. That means that at some moment there was a fiber that came from petroleum or oil that was made into a product that someone discarded. And then we reclaimed that and turned into this other fabric that then, you know, used, you know, this means of production to create this thing I'm wearing or cotton or organic cotton or some, you know, and so particularly like fashion I think is something problematic if we think about it, especially like fast fashion so we just talked to someone that was like I just went to H&M and I bought like all this stuff and I was like okay uh, but why you know mm -hmm. like did you need it or was it just fun to buy cheap stuff you know and so it's like well if you needed it great like so the person I talked to actually was like I forgot to pack everything so this she actually needed clothes so it was wonderful um, but then it's this question of you know do you, the think about less than a hundred years ago, you know, mm. objects were manufactured in a different way. You know, if yes. you think about like not our parents' generation, not even our grandparents' generation, but our great, great, great grandparents, the way they treated objects mm. radically mm. different than the way we treat objects. Like we have this right. um, sort of like disposable society where we get something, throw it out. You get something, like throw it out. You get something, throw it out. You know, get another one. Yeah. Uh, take two, why not? You know, and mm. like, if you think about our great, great, great grandparents, it was like they had a pair of shoes and they kept um, fixing it. Oh, they yes. had, they, they, they had a you sweater. You had cobblers for that. <laughs> mm, exactly. Yeah, and that, that's a, a dying institution. No, yeah. yeah. And they have a sweater and then they would darn the sweater. They'd fix it, you know? Yeah. And like now, like we get a swing, like you're going to get to get the next color of the new season. And it's like, wait a minute, do we, re like, do we need fast fashion or do we need something that's like, this is a really good product, and this this thing will last you for for I would it has to last at least ten years. Like it can't just last a season, you know. Mm -hmm. Or or you're gonna have something that could last you for your lifetime. And what's the relationship with that? Even the way we build structures, you know. Particularly, I see it like Miami drives me crazy sometimes. Like we just blow things up. Like when I when I I'm drive by a building, like oh they're blowing that up. Why are they blowing that up? Oh, we're going to put a new something new in 20 years. Yeah. We're going to blow that up. I'm like, can we not blow things up, please? Can we just like, <laughs> just like that's a house. Like, can we just like live in it? You know, mm -hmm. and, like maybe like paint it and renovate it and you know, blow it up and build something else. It's just like, we have this disposability, which I think is unsustainable long-term consciousness. Again, we reply that rubric of consciousness and it's like, well, no, the planet isn't a blob. It's a living organism. And, you know, things, it's an, it's an interchange that we have with it. And we're not blobs either. We're living organisms. And so there's like this interchange that we need to have. And if that's not the journey of, you know, yoga and awakening, I don't know what is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that self-realization that we're actually interconnected and interdependent mm -hmm. and not just individuals living individual lives that have no impact or influence on in, anything else yeah. going around in apartments yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's an interesting yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's an interesting dissection of that word you know i i was i was living in a uh, a cooperative in chicago the first time i heard that, that expression i was like wow mm. i'm not living in an apartment right now i'm living in a in a um a commune you know i'm living in a community yeah. it's very different yeah 
It's yeah. and it's only North, I think it's North America that calls apartments. Yeah, and then flats. And then like, and, yeah, and flat. Flats. <laughs> flat. But it might mm-hmm. be like a multi-level flat. So then, is it really flat? Yeah. It's not really flat. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh my should, dear well thank you so go. much this has been so We're much fun up a lot of her energy we could she just has to, she needs to now ground herself to go eat a dosa or in italy or something yeah. delicious now that we've Absolutely. been talking about breakfast foods <laughs> yeah seriously i had first breakfast before i had my after practice nap and then i'm gonna take other breakfast because you know yes. like the time, like lunch not available so second breakfast second breakfast yeah and then uh and then a little maybe a green drink and then to and bed at 4 p.m <laughs> for you because you got a Absolutely. early morning <laughs> yeah or a late night whichever way you see it exactly <laughs> 1 30 a.m comes pretty quickly <laughs> yeah oh my i've been like counting yeah. and at the same you know it's weird like at the same time i'm like wow oh i, I can't wait for the day off but then it's like oh i have two more weeks left yeah. And then I'm like, oh, right. it's like weird, you know. It's like, oh, I can't wait to sleep in. Oh gosh, but I only have, oh, mm-hmm. you know, this yeah, weird. Yeah. Kind right of... in the middle of the trip, you feel that always. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's half over. Yeah. Oh. Oh. What have I done? Mm-hmm. I've lied around. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? You, you've been resting. You've been regenerating, exactly. <laughs> so that you can do all the things that you yeah. have to do this coming year. <laughs> And people ask you that all the time. What do you do all day? And I'm like, um, I lie around. I'm not sure. <laughs> Try to rest, recover. Yeah. Rest, Practice yeah. is so difficult. And we come home yeah. and sleep because we're sleep deprived. And then we try to yeah. and feed yourself. It's like a mission. And you got to go lie down again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's boot camp is what it is. It's boot camp. And so you need yeah. to rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Tim said something funny. He he said, like, he's like, he's like, we can't sleep at night. And then we stagger through the day. (laughs) It's true. Yeah, you got the dog orchestra out there barking all night, (laughs) keeping you awake. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, we miss it. I I miss, I miss India for sure. Yeah. The new shala has been really nice to practice there. So um, we'll definitely come back. Yeah. Beautiful. I'll come back when my son's growing. (laughs) <laughs> he's taller than you now's the time yeah yeah, yeah. a few more years <laughs> gotta right. pay for all his activities you know <laughs> well you all could come down to miami um should yes. be, be in miami is that we're oh, not nice. we're doing, not official we're not officially announcing but he will okay. be there okay. okay unofficially he's coming next year at some point 23 yeah possible? next year okay. yeah next okay. year so 23 soon. possible very good <laughs> Beautiful. dropping that little goodie for people to like <laughs> keep yep. their eyes and ears open please, mm-hmm. please give little timmy a cuddle from me please <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah it was so so wonderful to connect with you thank you so much for your time and energy love thank you too Grateful. thank you we'll Grateful. throw all your links in the in the show notes but i guess if people are listening and they don't know where to reach you <laughs> yeah which I think is quite funny. Where can they find you, Kino? <laughs> uh, everybody can find me at Kino Yoga on Instagram, YouTube, and my website, and omsars.com for practice. Beautiful. For a new book from Kino coming soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. 
and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves, there's a heart.